Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. If you could please uh, open your Bibles, if you have one, to the book of Daniel. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. We'll project the, the words behind us. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Joe. Um, hopefully I get to meet you this morning. Uh, some of you have asked where Mark is. Uh, Mark is not feeling well today. He's a cold, so we're going to just pray for him as we pray uh, for this message as well. So let's pray. Did everybody just try to cough when I said Mark has a cold? <laughs> I heard a lot of coughs. So we'll pray for all of us. Father, we just thank you that uh, you care for us. You care for us uh, when we have the common cold, when we have the flu, you, you, uh, you are a God of mercy. So I pray anyone feeling sick this morning in this room, that you would heal them. We pray for Mark, that you would restore his health, and uh, Lord, give him a restful day. And Holy Spirit, we pray as we look to your word, that you would speak to each of us, from the youngest to the oldest in the room today, and we would be encouraged um, about who you are and your plans for us, and how you want to use us for your glory. And Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, the title of today's message is Flourishing in Babylon. Flourishing in Babylon, and this is the first message in our series on the book of Daniel. We're calling the series Heaven Rules. Before I read the, the passage, we're going to kind of work through chapter 1 today. I want to ask you some questions. I want you to think about these questions because these questions have a lot to do with the quality of your life. So here's the question or questions. Do our circumstances have the final say when it comes to our spiritual well-being? Do our circumstances have the final say when it comes to our spiritual well-being? In other words, another way to look at it, can you and I only prosper spiritually when life is good, when our relationships are good, when our finances are good, when our health is good, when the state of our nation is good, when the state of our world is at peace? Is it possible to prosper spiritually in dark, bleak, difficult circumstances? If you think about this, this is a really significant question to consider because it really will define your outlook on your life and how you view Jesus Christ. It really is the difference between having hope or despair. What if America is never made great again? Can we thrive spiritually? as individual Christians, and as a church? Well, the book we're going to look at for the next number of weeks is going to, answer the, is going to give us an answer to that question. And the answer is the one you think is the answer. Yes, we can prosper spiritually as individual Christians and as a local church and as churches all over this nation and globe, no matter what our circumstances are saying. And we learn that from the book of Daniel, and we learn that from the whole of Scripture as well. And so this morning, we're going to look at the book of Daniel. We're going to learn from four men, four young men, who are going to find themselves in a very difficult circumstances 
And we're going to see that they're going to be prospering spiritually even when their very lives are on the line. I believe God wants to encourage us from this passage to stir us, one, to find our hope and confidence in the Lord, and two, to be bold and courageous and fearless for Him. One of the reasons that we chose to preach on the book of Daniel is so that we all would have a greater vision of God. So as we filter through our life circumstances or our country's circumstances or our world circumstances, you would do it with a greater vision of God. And we're going to see that vision of God in the book of Daniel. So look in your Bibles, verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 5, and we're going to slowly work our way through it this morning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem to besiege it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel both of the royal family and of the nobility, use without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time, we're to stand before the king. So what's happening here is God's people have been taken over by a Babylonian king. And some of God's people are going to be taken back to Babylon. We're going to meet them in a few moments. But the book of Daniel is going to cover about 80-year time span. And Daniel is the author of the book of Daniel. And he's going to in the first six chapters, basically write the story of some of the things him and his three friends have experienced and their interactions with multiple kings that were not nice guys. And then the second half of the book, chapters 7 through 12, there are going to be these grand visions, these apocalyptic visions of all kinds of world events that theologians and Christians throughout the centuries have duked it out over to see what, what are they talking about. So we're going to try to do that. Uh, We're going to give it our best effort later on. But this book, an interesting thing about the book of Daniel, before we go into the details, is that it is actually written in two languages. The Old Testament, for the most part, has been written in the language of Hebrew. Now, Daniel wrote the book of Daniel first in Hebrew, in chapter 1, and then in chapters 2 through 7, he switches to Aramaic, which was the language of the Chaldeans and the, the broader language of the world at the time. And then he'll switch back to, Hebrews, to Hebrew. So you probably think, well, who cares? So what? I, I don't really care. Well, here's why you should care. Because I think part of the reason is even when this book was written about 2,500 years ago, God had a heart not just for the Jewish people, but for people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And even how this book was written in its original languages was to aim at those 
broader people group. So it is, in many ways, an evangelistic book. So the book of Daniel. You know, it, it takes place with a dark cloud upon it as it begins. Now, the Jewish people that are going to be taken captive, for the most part, were the upper echelon of the Jewish society. These were the nobility's kids that were taken. And most scholars agree that the, the kids that were taken captive were probably between the age of 14 and 16 years old. So all of you who are 14 and 16 years old, I want you to imagine if this would happen in your life. You get yanked out of your household, and you're taken to a strange land, a foreign culture, and you're going to be indoctrinated in their ways and their system and their education, their philosophies and their religion. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verse 6. We meet the main characters of chapter 1. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Now, if you grew up in church at all, you, you probably think, hey, I've heard those guys' names. Well, here's some things you, you might, know, might not know about them. Their names are significant, both their Hebrew names and then the names that they were given when they were taken to Babylon. The name Daniel means God is judge. The name Hananiah means Jehovah is gracious. The name Mishael is who or what is God. And Azariah means Jehovah helps. Well, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us some true things about God. It also tells us that their parents, their mom and dad, were most likely God-fearing Jews that had instructed them from a very young age about the one true God. And we're going to see as this story unfolds they weren't just teenagers who knew some Bible facts. They had a live, active, living relationship with the living God. And so, most likely, that happened when they were very young, long before they were 14, 15, or 16 years of age. But the King Nebuchadnezzar, he's a bad dude, and you're going to hear a lot about him in the next few weeks. He was a, a wicked man, a man to be feared. And part of his strategy by taking these Jewish nobility, the youth, was to indoctrinate them, to, to change them, to conform them. So if you want to change a society, the best way to start is target the youth. Go after the teenagers. If you got them, then you have all the future generations that will follow. So their, their names were changed, and that was all part of the indoctrination program. So Daniel, his name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means the god of Babylon. Bel was the god of Babylon, and that god was to protect his life. Hanani was changed to Shadrach. That was another god, the god of Marduk. Meshach was changed to Meshach, who is the moon god. And Azariah was changed to Abednego, servant of Nego, which was a Babylonian god. And so even their name changes were part of the king's plan to, to forget your God. Forget all the things you learned about Him. Forget who you think is in control of the world. Because ne King Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted all to know in the known world, I'm the king 
I'm in charge. Bow down to me. Now, if you were a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid, teenager, what would you do? What would you be thinking as you are taken away, transported to another place? Listen to how these young men respond. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the king's wine, that he drank, therefore, the chief of the eunuchs. He asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. In other words, part of the king's strategy was not to imprison these young men and beat them into submission and beat them into believing their their false gods and false religion and false philosophy. No, his strategy was enticement. Hey guys, look at this buffet over here. We got bacon, we got pork chops, we got crabs, we got shrimp, we got caviar. Keep in mind, they were Jewish, so they, did, they never ate pork and they never ate seafood. Not only that, guys, on the left we got the buffet. You smell it, it smells good. Over here we got vats of wine. And the king doesn't drink cheap wine. We got lots of wine. So these young men are coming into this culture. And the reason that Daniel resolves not to eat the food or drink the wine wasn't because the bacon didn't smell good. It was because he knew according to God's law in the Old Testament that lots of the meat was unclean according to a Jewish person. And then he also knew... a. A lot of the meat came from the temple and was sacrificed to false gods. And so as a clear conscience before the Lord, he couldn't defile himself. And the wine fell into the same category. So he decided, and so did his three friends, that he was not going to partake in the king's food. Now that might not seem like a big deal to us. But think about how many of us, male or female, yanked out of your home, taken to a foreign land, you're hungry, you're tired, you're scared, you fall asleep in a strange place, you wake up, food smells good. There's vats of wine everywhere. Well, maybe I'll just drink a little bit. Maybe I'll just eat one pork chop. And you slowly begin to compromise. And what's in the background here is that Daniel and his three friends were not the only Jewish young men to be taken captive. So the, what's implied in this story, this account, is that Daniel's already seeing some of his childhood friends drink the wine and eat the meat. And so there would have been pressure from the new rulership, and there would have been pressure from his peers. And yet, him and his buddies resolve, we're going to honor the Lord no matter what. Now this is King Nebuchadnezzar. In a word... If he says it, he could execute all of us in a moment. Daniel knows that. He knows enough to know that this is a king that can really back up his commands. And so with all of that weight, he still decides to dig in and hold his ground. It should give us courage. It should give us boldness to take a stand for Jesus Christ no matter what the consequences or no matter what the cost. This is a young man. He, you know, we don't even know if he could grow a beard yet. He's, he's a young guy, and he so believes in the living God, I don't care what happens. 
And think about what it doesn't say in this account. It doesn't say that Daniel spent the night and day worrying and thinking and meditating about how evil this king was and how evil the Babylonian philosophy and system of religion was and how he might not ever see his family again. Now, all those things weigh on him, and we'll see them play out later in life. But what becomes the clearest thing in Daniel's life is he trusted in the Lord. He really believed the God of the Bible. That's a question. This should provoke us. So when we think about our own life circumstances or world events or regional events or national events, do we have the same resolve? That whether it looks like it's all going well or just fallen to pieces, we have a a fixed confidence in the Lord. See, Daniel and his friends, they did a a couple things that that should help us. First is they, they feared the Lord. They were not afraid of a king, no matter how big his army was. They weren't intimidated by it. They weren't afraid of their friends maybe putting pressure on them. Come on, Daniel, just drink some wine. Just eat some bacon. It will be fine. Nobody knows. Your parents are like way far away. It's, it's fine. No, Daniel and his friends, they feared the Lord in a very healthy way. They knew they served the God who knows all, and sees all, and is all-powerful, and all-knowing. It reminds me of Proverbs 9 through 10. And this proverb is true no matter how old you are. And the opposite is true no matter how old you are. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. These young men feared God, and because of that, they were wise. Now, there can be 80-year-olds who mock God and do not fear God and are fools. And there can be 10-year-olds who fear the Lord and are wise. That's where Daniel and his friends were. Not only did they fear the Lord, but they really trusted the Lord. They really believed in the Lord. I mean, just think about Just replay your last week or month as you've looked at stuff on social media, or you watched stuff in in the news, or you thought about your own present life circumstances? Was there a faith that arose as you tried to sort through the challenges? Or did you just sink further and further down and, and forget the Lord almost altogether? Listen to this proverb. Daniel and his friends, they, they lived this out. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's all we are. Everything. Our mind and soul. Do not lean on your own understanding. I mean, they couldn't have been pondering for a while. These were fit guys. The only healthy, strong, capable young men got selected. So they they were fit. They might have been able to physically beat up the guys that were taking them away. But they didn't lean on their own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Their attitude was one of absolute no compromise. So that's true for teens. That's true for adults. Anyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. The Lord wants to embolden you. 
and strengthen you and give you courage. That not just when you are in a room for Christians can you worship and praise and enjoy the Lord, but when you are in a room full of the most ungodly, wicked, doubting the Bible, mocking Christianity group, you can honor the Lord there too. He wants to use you there. And what we're going to see from these men, as they were bold, the Lord used them. Even among these very mean, wicked kings. And if you think, well, yeah, maybe that was the first week, but as life went on, they probably compromised, they probably sold out, they probably failed. That is not the case at all from the book of Daniel. I want to give you just a a, a preview of what's coming. Because this is sort of an extreme example. But this extreme example is meant to give us courage. So later on in the book of Daniel, in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the story. They're about to get thrown into a fiery furnace. But you might not remember how they ended up there. So listen to this. And the context was, the king said, if you do not bow down when the music starts playing, we're going to cook you in the furnace. So verse 15 of Daniel chapter 3. Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. In other words, any, any note that starts to play, hit the deck and bow before the false gods. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king himself. This is not the king's servants. This is King Nebuchadnezzar himself. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed. He probably rarely, if ever, had somebody stand up to him. And if they did, he killed them instantly. So his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. They were not afraid to die. They were not afraid of a wicked king. Because, not because they were naive youths, because they believed and trusted in the living God. Can we say the same thing? Can we say that we trust in the Lord no matter what we see, no matter what we experience, that He is the true King that we're to bow down to and worship? I want to encourage you, you can trust Him. And as you do, even if you're the lone voice, you will, make, you will be used by the Lord to make a huge impact in whatever circle of influence you have. Now, it wasn't just the three friends that continued throughout their life to honor the Lord. Daniel had a similar response, really, throughout the book, but in chapter 6. See, Daniel outlasted King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And there were several other kings that were going to meet in this book. And another one was named King Darius. And he was one who wrote a law that said if anyone prays to anyone but the king, King Darius in this case, then he's going to be thrown into the lion's den. So you know the story, Daniel and the lion's den. What you might not remember is what Daniel did when he heard that this decree had been signed by the king. This is verse 10, chapter 6. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. So here's this is, decree has is, is been given. Okay, I want to make sure I'm, I'm in the spot where the king can see me. Got the windows there. And listen to what he's about to do. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God, as he had done previously. Every day of Daniel's life when he was in Babylon, he prayed three times a day towards Jerusalem. He never forgot his homeland. He always prayed that he'd be able to return. He always prayed for God's people, and he did so humbly. But when the king made this decree, he didn't stop. He got down. He bowed. I don't think he did it in an arrogant way, but he made sure the curtains are open You can see me. I'm not afraid of you, King Darius. I'm not afraid of you, King Nebuchadnezzar. And later in life, I'm not afraid of you, King Cyrus. Well, all of these stories that maybe some of you have grown up learning about, they're meant to teach. They're meant to encourage. They're meant to instruct. They're meant to give us boldness. And, you know, I'm a parent. I know there's many parents in the room. I, I think at times... As parents, we can spend way too much time talking about the dangers of Babylon and way too little time talking about how great it is to know the living God. Are there dangers in Babylon? Certainly. But see, these young men, I'm sure, their upbringing, their orientation was there is a true and living God that no matter what happens, no matter where he takes you, all will be well. And so, I believe that was their emphasis. And I believe that should be our emphasis as parents. It doesn't mean we don't talk about things that aren't good or can't influence. But here's the reality. If your kids have a real, live, active relationship with the Lord, you can put them in a cave, you can throw them right in Brooklyn, New York City, and they're going to prosper spiritually. Because the true and living God is going to be with them. Now, obviously there's things to be qualified, and some of you may send me emails about that comment. But read the book of Daniel. These guys were fearless. They loved the living God. That's what we want for our kids. That's what we want for ourselves. So teens, this is to you. Do not compromise your faith among your friends and peers. Don't do it. It's like choosing garbage over just this life of joy and satisfaction. Adults, do not compromise your faith among your friends, your peers, your co-workers. When we take a bold stance and we match it with our actions, the Lord's going to use you. He's going to use you powerfully. But if there's a disconnect in our compromising of our faith or compromising of our actions, then we just confuse everybody. What? I thought they went to church. I thought they 
They, they, they said that Jesus was the king, and they are they're more worked up about the election than I am. I, I don't understand it. And talk about Jesus, but more importantly, live it out. Look at verse 9. So here's, the, here's where we're at in chapter 1. Daniel and his buddies, they took a stand. We're not going to eat the food. We're not going to compromise. They don't know what's going to happen yet. So look at verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. And the chief eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has signed your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head the king. So this guy is responsible for all these young men to make sure they're indoctrinated for the next three years. He says, you know, I'm going to die if, if the king stops by and you guys are all skinny and everybody else is real plump and looking healthy. And, and Daniel, Daniel says he has a strategy. And, and the Lord gave Daniel favor with this man. So look at verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, here's what you could do. Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. In other words, we've got four Jewish boys. We're going we're to drink water. We're going to eat vegetables. Got a lot of other people. They're going to eat a lot of meat, and they're going to drink a lot of wine. After ten days, let's see, let's compare who looks better than the other. So verse 14 so he listened to them in this matter, tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and their wine, and they were, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. In other words, God gave them favor. God sustained them. God not only sustained them, but he strengthened them. And a little side note, this has nothing to do with the Daniel diet or people being vegetarians. That is not the point of chapter 1 of the book of Daniel at all. So just, if you want to be a vegetarian, that's fine, but don't get it from the book of Daniel. Verse 17, for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So, they go to school, an intense school, for three years. And so they're learning about all the false gods. They're learning language and science and math. I mean, it is a full-on university education in Babylon. And the Lord helped them. They were actually good at it. They learned a lot. They studied hard. And so they became fluent in the language. They came, became fluent in understanding the culture. They became fluent in being able to articulate all the different gods and goddesses. And yet, they never compromised their faith. It wasn't like they learned and then they left the one true God. No, they learned and they continued to serve the one true God. Well, like any university... At the end, you know, there are exams. And so the way this one was set up, it was cumulative. So at the end of the three years, the king himself would interview the students. And he would interview them on all kinds of things. Language, culture, and religion, and philosophy. So look at what happens. Verse 18. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, 
the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before King Nebuchadnezzar. So he, he lined them up. He's going to ask them all kinds of questions. And listen to how they did. Verse 19. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them there was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. So the Lord blessed these men. He gave them wisdom and gifts and abilities, all because they took a stand for the Lord. These men flourished spiritually in a very dark and wicked place. And the application for us is the Lord wants to use you in whatever setting, whatever workplace, neighborhood, relationships that you are in. And He's going to increase your abilities and gifts and skills. So whatever you give yourself to, you, you, you do well at it. But you don't compromise your faith. And because you don't compromise, then you will have this bridge into all kinds of influence. And that's what the Lord wants for you. I'm going to tell a story. And if it seems like a proud story, you can all tell me afterwards. But I don't think it is. But I've been wrong before. And Mary has told me. So um, before I was a pastor, I worked for an intermediate unit. And... Um, I remember applying for the job, and it was my first real job, and I, and I got the job, but I barely got the job. And the reason I barely got the job was because my grades in college were so poor. So the interview must have went well, and I had recommendations for other people, and that seemed to have some influence. But in the interview, I had to meet with some of the big people in the organization, and they said, well, could you tell me what happened in college? Well, <laughs> so I told them what happened in college. And, uh, and they hired me anyway. But after I'd worked there four or five years, um, I had needed a letter of recommendation for something. And one of the, the head um, PhD psychologists, who was kind of the big person over the whole department, she wrote me a letter of recommendation. And one of the things she said in the letter of recommendation, which was super encouraging, and I knew it was from the Lord, it, she, said, she said, you know, the kind of stuff that people say in the recommendations. But then it said, he seems to have a sixth sense about him in difficult circumstances. And I interpret that to mean the Lord helped me in my job. And so there were times in my job where I had to do intervention groups for kids who had just lost a friend to suicide or grief counseling or anger issues. And I remember at times the Lord would just bring stuff to mind that I'd run by my Ph.D. supervisor and and I thought one of my resolves when I got the job was I want to honor the Lord and I want to be bold about the Lord. Was I perfect in that? By no means. But did the Lord help me and use me and allow me to influence people who were not Christians? Certainly. That's what he wants to do for you. And I can remember sitting in the lunchroom reading Christian books, maybe at times reading the Bible, talking to people about the Lord, being the weird guy in the lunchroom and uh, being talked about at times. 
you know, not in a positive way. Um, welcome to, to the workplace. And I remember doing those things and praying, Lord, I, I just want these people to know you. That's what I want. And then it, it turned out, it's kind of two stories in one, that one of the secretaries had cancer and she was dying. She was my secretary. I had become a pastor, so fast forward five years. She contacts the church, says, I want Joe Ryer to come to my house. She's dying. She knows I'm a Christian, and she had not walked with the Lord for her whole life. So she asked me to read the Bible and share the gospel. She then responded to the gospel, is with the Lord, and asked me to do the funeral. So what, what the Lord set up was I got to speak to every single one of my coworkers who knew her as I did the funeral. Well, all of that, if I would have compromised, said, you know, if they asked me questions about the Lord, and I would have given false answers, or I would have denied my faith, or I would have lived in a way that was out of step with saying I'm a Christian, those opportunities would have never come. And the Lord wants you to do the same thing. Now, you might be thinking, well, man, I worked this place for like 30 years and I've blown it all over the place. Well, confess that, turn from it, and you have years in front of you to make those things right. Because these men in the book of Daniel, they just delighted in the Lord. They feared the Lord. They trusted in the Lord. And there's the last verse of this chapter is, is, is striking. It's one that we can read over and, and just miss. But it has a lesson in and of itself. Look at verse 21. It says, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What that means is Daniel was there 67 years after he first stepped foot on Babylonian soil. So Daniel was in his early 80s at the end of the story in chapter 21, meaning Daniel had faithfully served and honored and obeyed the true and living God over all these different kings and rulers that would come and go. And so every day, three times a day, he would read God's word and pray and praise the living God. Always longing to go home. Always longing for his people to turn back to the living God. Always longing for a better day. But he continued to be faithful. And Daniel knew, and we we might even know it more clearly, that ultimately Jerusalem wasn't his home. Babylon certainly wasn't his home. And he was living for a home that only God can take us to, that comes through faith in Jesus. So the last verse I want to read as we think about the aged Daniel still serving the king is a a verse in, in Hebrews chapter 13. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. As believers in Jesus Christ, we seek the city that is to come. So let's keep our eyes on the King who's coming and serve Him. Let's pray. You guys can stand and the band can come up.